Not so fast. I have a lot of questions to ask you. My dear Brigadier, it's no earthly good asking me a lot of questions. I've lost my memory, you see. How do I know that you're not an imposter? Ah, but you don't. You don't. Only I know that. Thank you for joining us on a quick trip through space and time. My name is Mac. And I'm Caleb. And this is a podcast where a Doctor Who veteran and a Doctor Who beginner go through each episode of Doctor Who and give their thoughts on it. And today, we are going to be watching Spearhead from Space. Spearhead from Space was written by Robert Holmes, directed by Derek Martinus, and produced by Derek Sherwin. It also aired January 3rd, 1970 to January 24th, 1970. Uh, the show took a bit of hiatus because the last episode of the War Games was in June of 1969. Which is understandable, considering this is this episode's going to have a lot of firsts, including, hooray, the first episode in color. Hot diggity dong. <laughs> I do have some bad news, however. Do you recognize the, re- the name Robert Holmes? Yes, but remind me why. The Crotons and mm. the Space Pirates. Mm. I know Robert Holmes is going to go on to be like one of the most common writers in Doctor Who. I'm assuming it's because he gets better. <laughs> I'm hoping. And again, I will say that a lot of the Crotons' problem was the stupid costumes. Yes, which... I'm pretty sure, I forget whether it was the writer or the director who said it, but they were like, the Crotons worked as a story, but not as a monster. And that's very true. But man, the Space Pirates was in our bottom five, so that is a tough sell. I have actually watched this one, I say relatively recently, and by relatively recently, I mean it's been within the past three years. And I remember liking it. I remember it not be, not being bad. So I think I think we're good. I don't think it's going to be on Space Pirates level. Here's a little uh, piece of trivia that I'll go ahead and give you right now. Uh, It's just a fun little one. Um, Spearhead from Space is the first episode since Galaxy 4 to have an episode title that does not contain the word the. (laughs) (laughs) That's really depressing. (laughs) I, I suddenly got a flash of memory of remember when the episodes had individual names? Yes. And the Dalek Master Plan was a terrible story overall, but it had that fucking banger of an episode title called Coronas of the Sun. That one was good. Yes. What a great title. Was Coronas of the Sun Dalek Master Plan or was that Gunfighters? No, it was Coronas of the Sun was Dalek Master Plan. Okay. Because I thought Gunfighters was when they started doing the whole, there's no episode titles anymore. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Gunfighters, I think, was the last episode to have. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yes. Yeah, okay. This one's a little bit more of a unique episode title in that it's not just the name of the place they're at or the name of the villain they're fighting. So, Caleb, given everything you know about Doctor Who and given the title of this episode, Spearhead from Space, what do you think this episode's going to be about? The Doctor's been put on ice, so to speak. 
And after several hundred years, the Time Lords are like, hey, you remember that crazy guy who did all the did all the stuff? Well, we need him to do some stuff. So they take him off ice and they're like, all right, you got to lead this spearhead detachment and go to war with this race and do that whole genocide thing you do. <laughs> We've got a race of aliens that we don't like. Just go over there and hang out with them. Just whatever happens, happens. <laughs> and if they happen to be purged, well, I mean, that's not the worst thing that could happen. Okay. Okay. And then when they get mad and they're like, well, why did you interfere with time by purging those aliens? He, he can just go, well, how'd you know I wasn't supposed to purge them? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, damn. And they're like, you can't fool us, Doctor. And they bring out this giant book that's like, this is full of all the genocides that you are supposed to cause and all the genocides you're not supposed to cause. And that was one of the ones you weren't supposed to cause. <laughs> you're talking to the Time Lords. <laughs> you can't pull that shit with us. Oh, uh, yeah, but the Doctor's going to go to war. Okay. <laughs> uh, there's just so many things I could say. But I can't say. <laughs> it's called a strong opener. And with that, we will see you all in the future. Let's get going. And we're back. May have just been a couple seconds for you, but it was one week for us. And what a week it was. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't so bad for a four-parter. The fact that we have <clears throat> three seven-parters coming up. Uh... <laughs> <sighs> Mac, sa Mac said it was going to even out. And it will. <laughs> right after these three <laughs> seven-parters. God damn it. I feel like that has been the whole podcast. It's like, we just got to get through this stretch, and then it's okay, going to even out. It's going to be but fun. No, for real, though. <laughs> right after this one, it's only going to be four and six parters and a couple of weird two and one parters. So, like, I swear to God you said that after War Games. Like, right before War no, Games. No, right <laughs> the record will show. Jury, you can back me up on this. I have multiple times mentioned that it is, there are seven, there are the seven parters. I will say that war games, you know, peaked, so it doesn't go into the double digits anymore. But still, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a super cut of all the times Mac tells me it gets easier from here, <laughs> because it does though. <laughs> we've gotten over, we've gotten through uh, black and white, we've gotten through the audios, like it is smooth sailing from here. <laughs> Speaking of which, how'd you feel about your first? Uh, Brilliant Technicolor Doctor Who episode. Stunning. Incredible. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it before. <laughs> I liked it. It was pretty good. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I will say this. This has absolutely nothing to do with, like, quality of the episode or anything. Um, but if there was... If people were interested in wanting to watch Classic Who and they didn't want to deal with all the audio bullshit and everything and they didn't want to start from an earthly child which is understandable i think spearhead from space is probably the best starting point if people wanted to get into classic who yeah i i'd agree i mean like 
the doctor just kind of gets dropped in mysteriously. Mm-hmm. Vague references to otherisms, but it's not really relevant to what's going on right now. So it yeah. kind of feels like a hard reset. Yeah, it, it definitely does because there's also no companions. The only the only returning character is the brigadier. But no, I liked it. There were I I, I have issues with it. Surprise. But no, I thought it was pretty good. Um, the biggest thing was like, oh man, it's color now. It's gonna be different. I was like, nope, it's still it's still Doctor Who. I don't know why I thought it being in color was somehow gonna make it better. I've changed, baby. I've changed. <laughs> I've changed my shirt and everything. <laughs> but no, I, I I liked it. I'm immediately kind of endeared with was it John Petrie? Is that his name? John Pertwee. Pertwee. I'm kind of immediately endeared with his uh, interpretation of the Doctor, so... Yeah, I like him. I, I hate his fucking costume, but... <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get to wear that in the thumbnail for the next however many episodes. Matt gets to wear that in the next redacted amount of episodes. <laughs> for Since it is like a new era, Brittany was like, I'm going to redo the thumbnail so she kind of just like redrew us and while she was at it she put me in the third doctor's outfit and you and in liz's yeah i was gonna say would i be would i be liz or be uh lethbridge stewart i mean i guess we can't you can be lethbridge stewart if you want i'll grow a mustache out (laughs) i just figured you probably wouldn't want to be in stuck in military uniform no you're right liz was the right choice (laughs) yeah but yes, uh, on that note, uh, I do have several uh, post-view notes, which we've already kind of touched upon. First episode in color, uh, introduces John Pertwee as the third Doctor, introduces Caroline John as Liz Shaw, has the return of Nicholas Courtney as the Brigadier in his first regular appearance, first appearance of the Nestine Consciousness, first mention of the Time Lord's binary cardiovascular system, they've got two hearts, and... Brand new intro, which you should have already heard the music in this podcast episode, although I don't think the music really changed all that much. It's a little different, I think. Like, just teeny tiny bit different. And I think demonstrably not as good. Yeah. The visuals, meanwhile, just like straight up kaleidoscope. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was surprised. I thought I would like the intro sequence more afterwards, but I actually think I like the black and white version more. <laughs> There's something about it, like, I feel like, I don't know what it is, but it looks like there's, like, a wrinkle on the film or something. There's, like, some sort of, like, scrunch right in the middle of the screen that I could not stop staring at every time mm. the intro came on. I don't know. This is when we find out that you're like, oh, man, I didn't know how good I had it. I had it in black and white. <laughs> oh, I miss all this stuff about the black and white era. Oh, man. <laughs> and then, like, the doctor's face comes on screen. I was like, it's even worse in color. <laughs> I cannot believe this is going to happen the whole time. Yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> it it blends in so much worse. <laughs> it's at least in black and white. It's all in black and white. <laughs> now it's like I, this, whoa, multicolored kaleidoscope experience. And then John Pertwee's fucking face is just right there. <laughs> yeah, it's a wow. It is not good. I'm not looking forward to the next. 20 seasons i think well maybe it'll get better when they add the 3d animation and synth anyway let's start with <laughs> oh god <sighs> anyway are oh, we just gonna dive right into the episode then Let, let's dive right in yeah why not let's, let's dive right in let me pull up my notes nah all right shoot from the hip caleb just 
Just tell me what happened in Spearhead from Space. Okay, you know, I'm not going to lie. I left out a ton. Because, oh. like, frankly, good thing on this episode is a lot does happen. I am not going to even remotely try and fucking describe everything that happens in these four episodes. Well, that is kind of your job on this podcast, so I'm curious uh. to see what exactly it is you'll be doing. <laughs> we'll get into it. But here's my beautiful summary of episode one. Somewhere on pseudo-modern Earth, a couple of nerds are watching a meteor shower. And one of them makes note of the strange spearhead pattern they are falling in. Another man, Sam, watches the meteors fall out of the sky and crash. Unit is called in to investigate the strange meteorites, and the TARDIS appears as the newly regenerated doctor falls out unconscious. At the hospital, Brigadier Alphonse Leatherswish and his new advisor, Dr. Elizabeth Shaw, go to check in on the man they believe is the doctor. However, Lattermitch isn't convinced it is him. There's a press all over the hospital because someone overheard a conversation about strange blood samples, and mysterious figures use the crowd as cover to sneak the doctor away. However, the doctor escapes while bound to a wheelchair and races away to get back to the TARDIS. As he emerges from the woods, a unit soldier standing guard turns and fires on him. That's the broad strokes, but my, there, there's a, I could have described that a lot. <laughs> yeah, it does feel like you skipped a bit, but you definitely hit broad strokes but i'm like there's a lot in here I and mean, there's like there's a lot of conversations about you know they do the x-ray about his two hearts mm-hmm. there is like a very long phone conversation with like the blood lab or whatever there's basically the work interview <laughs> for mm-hmm. liz shaw with the brigadier saying hey we want you to uh work with us because uh we deal with extraterrestrial stuff and she's like and I think my favorite aspect of Liz is just her being like, yeah, okay, sure. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, but we do have these actual physical meteorites that came down. We want you to take a look at it. And she's like, okay, well, that's real and in front of me. So I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of unit, at the beginning with those two nerds who are watching the watching the stars, one of them was like, it, I would swear they're they're flying in formation. And then the other one says, oh, don't let your imagination run away with you. And I'm like, yeah, what do you think this is? A government branch specifically made to fight aliens or something? (laughs) (laughs) Man, that shit sounds like me. Uh, It sounds, it's so strange. It's almost suspicious. Like, that's above my pay grade. Not my problem. (laughs) I get paid to look at rocks, not to ask questions. (laughs) I do genuinely love how every new doctor, like, just right off the gate, you start with a feeling of, you're not my real dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny, because, like, I, I don't know. I I didn't have the same whiplash with Pertwee. Is that, yeah, Pertwee? Is that Pertwee, yeah. Uh, I didn't have the same whiplash with Pertwee as I did going from, like, Hartnell to Troughton. Yeah. I guess it's because, like, Troughton is, like, was so radically different from Hartnell's Doctor. Very true. Whereas, like, John Pertwee is more, like, Tone down Troughton. I, I would say Pertwee is like a good middle ground between Hartnell and Troughton. He's he's yeah. much he's much more grounded like Hartnell, but he's still got that quirk like Troughton. Mm-hmm. This is getting way ahead, but he does do something in a couple later episodes that I'm like, or I think it's the next episode, where I'm like, good job, Doctor. That's also what I would have done. <laughs> <laughs> and th- this is going to bug me for as long as Liz is here. They keep referring to her as Miss Shaw, and she has several PhDs. Call that woman doctor, or don't refer to her at all. It's Dr. Shaw. It's Dr. Shaw, goddammit. 
<laughs> like, I know we have a character called the Doctor, but she is also a Doctor, and you will treat her as such. She's more qualified as a Doctor than the Doctor is. The Doctor is just some guy. <laughs> yeah, the Doctor, that's just a cool name he decided to pick out. <laughs> like... <laughs> but speaking of that interview where uh, the Brigadier is interviewing Dr. Shaw, he mentions that uh, they've been invaded by aliens uh, twice already. And so presumably he's referring to the two episodes that he's been in previously, the Web of Fear and the Invasion. But uh, Liz just kind of laughs him off. Quick question. How in the flying fuck were they able to cover both of those up? (laughs) (laughs) I can see them cover... Well, no, they couldn't cover Web of Fear because they were like... They're all like, the London Underground is closed down. Yeah, like, people were dead in the streets during Web of Fear. And then in the invasion, there were literally Cybermen in the streets. I almost buy the invasion better than I do Web of Fear, because at least when the Cybermen invaded, they sent out that radio signal that basically just, like, conked everybody out. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. So that I would buy. Web of Fear, I do not. They had signs up that say, flee while you can. (laughs) (laughs) Aliens inside. Yeah. That specifically is a thing that I will consistently be frustrated with Doctor Who about. Because I'll be like, okay, so how much of the population does know about aliens? (laughs) (laughs) The answer is, don't worry about it. That was like five episodes ago. What was the old guy's name? The accent who lives out in the woods. Oh, Sam Seeley. Sam Seeley, yes. He has the, granted, brilliant idea of I'm going to take one of these meteorites specifically so that I can sell it to the military. I'm, w- I'm with you, Sam. I'm on board. Uh, what I'm not on board with is how he just touches the glowing space rock with his bare <laughs> hands and then puts it in a bag. Listen, Sam is a simple man. He doesn't have time to think about things like, what would happen if I touched the glowing rock? He doesn't have time to think about things like radiation poisoning. That's just some fancy college liberal talk. I'm just asking him to be a little genre savvy, that's all. Refuse. Sam's got one thing on the mind, and that's cash money, and I feel it. You know what? I get you, Sam. In his defense... Literally nothing happens from him touching it. So, like, he's safe. <laughs> but he could have not been, is my point. You just gotta grab life by the glowing rocks, man. What was the dude's name? Ransom? No. Yes. Well, there's a guy named Ransom. There is a guy ra- named Ransom. But the guy who is basically the, the mouth of the nesting. Uh, Channing. Channing, yeah. I like how he has just a sweaty sheen to him the entire time he's on screen implying that like he's made of plastic (laughs) (laughs) yeah and that's the case for all the plastic people it's like they all are they just look sweaty yeah (laughs) uh except for the guys who like don't look like real people and those are the things of my nightmares so (laughs) yeah i was gonna ask you because um anybody who's a fan of doctor who probably knows the autons and the nesting consciousness but like this is this is their first debut what did you think of the Autons? We haven't really been introduced to them yet, but... Because uh, I was like, this is either going to be the goofiest fucking thing from in Caleb's eyes, or the scariest fucking thing in Caleb's eyes. I'm gonna lean towards the scariest fucking thing. Um, not really because of the specific costume design, because like, they were a little doofy looking. Mm-hmm. But 
Uh, boy, howdy, I do not like dolls at all. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I do not fuck with plastic dolls, not even a little. Uh, and it kept, it kept like, doing close-ups of their faces, like, they don't have eyes, even though I could see someone blinking at one point through, like, the cloth. <laughs> uh, I was like, that thing doesn't have eyes, it doesn't have a soul, I don't stop getting close to it. Yeah. I mean, mannequins are creepy at the best of times, <laughs> so. Uh, like, especially, especially when, uh, spoiler alert, when it kind of gets to, like, the massacre they do at episode four. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is genuinely the stuff of nightmares, <laughs> I hate this. <laughs> Good. But I, I I also really like the idea of, like, the nesting, like, this kind of, like, consciousness that doesn't have its own form. It just invades and takes over other forms through some capacity. Yeah. I think that's really cool. Yeah. My next note is, hi, speed, chase. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, the doctor's going a solid 80 miles an hour on that wheelchair. <laughs> I know, and I loved it. Doctor gets taken out of the hospital, and then he, like breaks away and he's just like barreling down the road in his wheelchair <laughs> and like people are driving after him in cars and he's like cutting out through the pa- through the garden paths and people are like chase and unit soldiers are chasing after him on foot and it's just like yeah go 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 probably could have taken the tape off his mouth at some point but he had he had shit to do yeah you know he, he needs both those hands <laughs> he had places to be god damn it <laughs> and at one point, like, right at the beginning of that chase, so, like, these, like, two mysterious figures are taking the doctor out of the hospital, and he gets away, and he's barreling down on the wheelchair, and one of the unit guys is like, take out the tires! I was like, are they talking about the ambulance they were going to load him into, or are they talking about the doctor's tires? Pretty sure they were talking about the ambulance. Uh, I know, but there was something about the way it was cut, <laughs> like, made it seem like they were shooting at the doctor, not the people <laughs> trying to kidnap him. On that note, yeah. uh... A thing about the story in general, the editing is weird. I actually have a couple notes about the editing. I, I kind of like it. I mean, I, I I like the snappy pace, but like similar to like Enemy of the World, there's just some weird cuts. I think somewhere in episode three, I swear to God, they cut before the doctor was done finished saying a line. Could have. There's a couple of instances that I really like, uh, which we'll touch on later, where and I've, I've said this before, I'm always a fan of this. I know for a fact we've, we've said it in Planet of Giants, where it's like someone is talking in one scene and then it cuts over to another scene and it's as if that person just answered. Mm, like, yeah. there, it's two different conversations, but the second person, like, it's a transition. I, I'm always a sucker for that kind of transition. And they do that a couple times in Spearhead. Did you have this issue on DVD? Because when I was watching just this episode specifically... Uh, the screen flickered like every like 30 seconds and it wasn't like the screen of my computer because I was doing other stuff on the computer while I was watching it I don't think so just my image like it would just flare up for like 30 seconds hmm. so I guess if you're watching this you're on BritBox uh, warning the first episode specifically is gonna light up a lot for no reason I don't remember that happening that doesn't necessarily mean it didn't happen just another random thing I had and then the episode ends with the doctor getting fired at and i'm like well he's been shot time for another regeneration <laughs> bring in the fourth doctor <laughs> boom, 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 boom. oh um uh, like it was fine on this one but especially in the next episode uh i feel like the actual like cut off to go into the end credits was always really weird and awkward in what way well i because th- i don't feel like it's necessarily like a moment thing it's like an editing thing I feel like it's kind of, like, always faded into the outro music. Or, like, the outro sequence has kind of, like, faded up. 
Mm-hmm. But now, I don't know, maybe it's because it's in color and I'm not used to this fancy stuff going on. Like, it just seems like it's like, oh my god, the doctor just fell down. I think they were also experimenting with a new type of, like, film. So it is very possible that they were just like, uh, don't do anything fancy this time. We don't want to screw it up. Just go to credit. <laughs> the <laughs> the assistant editor is like, how do we do this? I'm like, fuck, well, no, that's your job. <laughs> Anyways, I'm ready for episode two if you are. Yeah. Episode two. The doctor isn't killed by the gunshot, shocker. However, he is in a deep, self-induced coma. With the doctor safe in the TARDIS in unit custody, Ludwig Sanders has his men look for the meteorites. At a nearby auto plastics factory, John Ransom is upset for being cut out of a manufacturing deal while he was overseas. His boss, Hibbert, is cold about the issue and hastily pushes Ransom out when his new partner, Channing, appears. Unit finds a piece of meteorite and it appears to be artificial. Seeley examines the meteorites he took from the crash site and emits a signal that alerts a nearby humanoid figure. While everyone is distracted by the meteorites, the doctor wakes up from his coma, finds the most ridiculous outfit possible, and steals a card to return to the TARDIS at Unit HQ. Ransom wants to learn what has changed at his old job and snoops around. He looks around a room with the same strange mannequin features, and one of them begins to move as he turns away from them. It's a little inconsistent in this story as to, like, when specifically the brigadier starts to believe that the doctor is in fact the doctor. Because mm-hmm. he just kind of seemed to start believing it at the beginning of this. I think he was like talking to another soldier and um, he mentions that hopefully the doctor will wake up from his coma soon. And um, like, I I get that the doctor has done some weird shit already in this story and that he was trying to get to the TARDIS. So maybe that's why the Brigadier suddenly believes it, but didn't really have a moment of him like being like, okay, this is the Doctor. Because when he uh, first sees the Brigadier, uh, sorry, when he first sees the Doctor in his uh, in his hospital bed in, in the first part, he's just like, ah, damn, it's not the right man. Never mind. Yeah, and uh, I don't know, I don't remember the Doctor's name, but I feel like he makes a really extreme leap in logic. Because after they kind of take the doctor back to the hospital, they're like, yes, uh, the the gunshot to the head didn't kill him, but it uh, he put himself in a self-induced coma. I believe we're dealing with an alien life form. I was like, that's, <laughs> there are several steps we could have checked before that. Yeah. Which I thought that at the time, but like putting together the pieces of, they kind of identified the blood samples, the x-ray was showing two hearts, and he kind of interpreted that as a joke. So looking back on now, I see how he's putting all those pieces together. But also, I don't know. I feel like there were a few more steps we could have done before we jumped the alien. Yeah, probably. Also, Unit is here. Why would Unit be here if it wasn't fucking weird? But also, is Unit one of those things that like people know about? They're like, oh, Unit's here. They must be investigating something crazy. Or is Unit one of those things like, hey, if you know about Unit and you're not in Unit, uh, you have to die. As far as I know, Unit is like in its infancy right now. But as we will find out eventually, unit is a lot of things. Subtle is not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> unit couldn't be a secret if they tried. <laughs> yeah, and also it's weird. Like, he gets shot at, and uh, it's said that the bullet just, like, grazed the side of his skull. Like, just grazed the side of his head. And the doctor, I guess, just, like, panicked and shut down and just went into a coma. <laughs> <laughs> For probably really good reasons. 
I really like the moment where, like, we've been dealing with all the doctor stuff. We've been dealing with the military. We've been doing dealing with this bizarre uh, alien meteorites and all the stuff going down. And now we're at this plastics factory. It has this total 180 of everything. We Like, what the fuck does this have to do with anything we've just seen so far? That it's like, hmm, what the fuck does this have to do with anything we've seen so far? No, I, I actually am a big fan of, like, the hard-cutting to different scenes, especially when it's not clear what it's related to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I like that in earlier episodes where you were always a fan of it. My issue specifically is on timing 90% of the time. Yeah, that's fair. But, like, I love the scene where, like, Ransom's going in, like, he, he's getting led down the hall by this blonde lady who doesn't say a word the whole time. And he's like, well, this used to be my office. Why am I not allowed in there? Why is this like that? yeah all the way up to him being like why the fuck did i get a letter saying i'm fired in the mail yeah this this is where i make the note of i like the editing where it's just like one conversation is being picked up in a different scene because this is they've done they've done it a couple times up until now but um but this is when i really notice it uh then my note is caleb is going to either hate or love the autons (laughs) i hate them but in the good way if that makes sense not in the Zarbi or the Monoptra way. Yeah. And then we cut back to uh, the unit lab where Liz is analyzing the meteorites. Then the, what was the, like the major general or something like that. The guy who's like the liaison between unit and the regular army. Oh, uh, Scoby. Scoby, yeah. Major General Scoby. Major General Scoby, that was it. He comes in and... Um, says that uh well good on the brigadier for getting uh for getting a pretty face always livens up the livens up the place doesn't it and uh brigadier's just like she's a little bit more than just a pretty face and major general's like oh yes yes of course she is of course she is and i'm like ah there's no sexism quite like military sexism (laughs) (laughs) don't you just feel the respect (laughs) don't you just doesn't make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside and not want to just fucking deck this guy (laughs) (laughs) spoiler scoby gets got and he deserves it he doesn't though oh no he doesn't he survives he sort of kind of gets it for a little bit a little bit (laughs) and then i say gta doctor who (laughs) oh yeah oh my god this whole sequence where he just like wakes up and like he's like wandering around he's hiding in the fucking shower in plain sight taking a shower while people have conversations about him yeah but like he first of all he has his face paint uh pointed away so like you can't really see him and secondly if you see just like a naked dude in the shower you're not gonna like stare directly at him you're gonna give him like some respectful privacy um so like i get that I do also love how he just steals the first clothes he finds, and the first clothes he finds is, like, this frilly suit and cape. <laughs> it looks like a fucking, like, Penn and Teller, like, magician's outfit. Because <laughs> it, like it has, like, a little, like, cloak that ends, like, at the midriff. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then he goes outside and picks the objectively best car in the parking lot to, t- <laughs> to drive away with. This fucking dated as like nineteen thirties. This fucking jalopy. Yeah, no. Yeah, I love it. I I unironically would just like that is a cool ass car. I would absolutely steal that car. <laughs> yes, but the doctor goes full GTA, and I do. I just really really like how flippant 
Liz is about everything alien related. Like the major general is like, why, why do you have a police box sitting in the middle of your lab? And Liz is just like, oh, it's not just a police box, major general. It's a spaceship that travels through time and space. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and Liz is like, this is the easiest job in the world. <laughs> I'm surrounded by fucking morons. I can probably add a couple <laughs> zeros to my paycheck and no one's going to notice. <laughs> and then the doctor heads straight for the unit base, gets stopped at the gate, and is just like, I bet you're wanting my my security badge. Well, I don't have one. Tough shit. Also, tell the brigadier <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> I guess this is the point where I... Is this where Stuart really starts to believe he's the doctor? Yeah, I think so. Because now that he's not, like, half awake, the doctor is actually able to, like, converse with him and be like, oh, yeah, no, I I change my face sometimes. Don't worry, it happens. No big deal. You're being weird by making a big deal out of it. (laughs) I do also also like how when he first is handed a mirror in the hospital and he's like, oh, oh, God, no, that's all wrong. And I love how John Pertwee is just being forced to call himself. It's like, oh, the, oh, the, and the nose and the gray hair and oh, God. <laughs> I, I know, but it's also kind of funny how he turns around. And he's like, oh, it's like, it's so wrong. It's like, although it's kind of dapper, though. Know. It's rather distinguished, really. Quite a profile. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the brigadier asks him how the hell he uh, managed to find this top secret unit base. And uh, the doctor shows that he's got a, a a TARDIS homing watch. And I'm like, fucking bullshit. No, you don't. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> That's a line you know. It. Which is just so you know how I feel about every explanation the doctor has for everything. <laughs> he's like, oh, well, it's simple. We just do this. It's like, no, it's not. There's no fucking way. That's how that works. Which we'll get into later in this episode, actually. Not this episode, but the story. Yeah. Speaking of which, I am done with this episode, not story. I'm also done with this episode. Uh, last thing I have is Ransom snooping around. Freaky mannequin sneaks up on him. The mannequin goes to kill Ransom, but the range on his handgun must only be like 12 inches or something because he never kills him. <laughs> Ransom manages to slip away, and the mannequin hides himself when Brigadier Stewart and his unit escort appear, talking with Hibbert. Ransom escapes and finds his way to the unit camp, where he describes the thing that tried to kill him. Liz and the Doctor work together to find a way to track the missing meteorites, and he convinces her to get the key to the TARDIS and immediately tries to escape with it. When it's clear the TARDIS doesn't function properly anymore, he resigns himself to helping Unit through to the end. A mannequin man appears and kills Seely's wife and finds the meteorite. As the mannequin retreats, he sneaks into the Unit camp with Ransom and kills him too. Stuart wants to cordon off the plastics factory and needs permission from his superior, Major General Scobie. Scobie agrees to look into it, but is surprised when a replica of himself appears at the door and stalks toward him menacingly. So did they build the gun into the Auton's hand, or do all mannequins have those? <laughs> oh, that's a that's a feature of mannequins, don't you know? Because <laughs> like he just like lifts up his hand and then like divides in half by like by the knuckles and there's just like a gun that points out and he, that's when he, that's what he fires with it's especially confusing knowing how the episode ends because you're just like okay maybe he's gotta be real close for this thing to work because he like keeps walking towards ransom and gets very close repeatedly and then just does not shoot him yeah has clear line of sight and i'm like well maybe it's the classic doctor who thing of they gotta be real close for it to work but then later in this story you see these mannequin things just blasting people <laughs> I have two points to make. One, 
They don't have eyes, so they're mostly just guessing. (laughs) (laughs) And two, later on, a crowd is much easier to hit than one singular person. So again, they don't really have any sort of like aiming mechanism. They're just like, this general area. There we go. That should work. Max definition of a crowd, by the way, is like four people at a bus stop. It was like six. <laughs> and, and don't get me wrong. Like the Autons are freaky. No one, no one here is going to deny that. But Ransom is like... I stared into the eyes of God and weeped kind of traumatized <laughs> by like, like he is trying to give his story about what happened to these military men. And he's just like, Oh God. Oh, and then it was awful. I'm like, okay, but like, it was a mannequin though. Like, calm down. I get that it was a mannequin yeah. with a gun that was moving on its own. I understand, but it was a mannequin. <laughs> Yeah, he was full on mind broke. It was pretty. It was pretty funny actually. <laughs> we haven't seen a good mind break since Power of the Daleks, I think. I don't know. I can't remember. We haven't had a good mind break since Power of the Daleks. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so yeah, so Ransom makes his way to Unit Camp. The Doctor and all of them are like, we need to find these meteorite things because that's probably what these mannequins are after, right? I don't remember how they draw that conclusion at all, but I don't remember. Is it? Because, like, there's at one point where, like, a uh, like a unit truck is like, hey, we found one of these meteorite things. And then, like, they crash into one of the mannequins because uh, it stumbles out of the woods. Yeah. The truck was, was heading towards HQ and the mannequin, like, went into the road and the driver was like, oh, shit, and uh, tried to avert to not hit from at first glance this man who just walked out into the road. And he crashed and then it took the meteorite. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't care about any about that. Yeah, you gotta talk yeah. about the part of this episode that matters. That made me actually genuinely love the doctor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is <laughs> him being like, "Hmm, if I could get back into the TARDIS, I could use the instruments in there." And Liz is like, "Okay, I'll help you do that." <laughs> Sneaks into or uh, goes into Stewart's office, and while he's distracted, slips the key, uh, gives it to the doctor, and he's like, "Oh, great." Now I will go do my testing. And then immediately tries to fucking like... Yeah. <laughs> he, go, he goes uh, into the TARDIS and then the Brigadier comes into the lab and is just like, where's the doctor? And she's like, uh, in there. It's like, he's just like, you let him go in alone? What are you, stupid? And then just like, it just kind of sputters and smokes. <laughs> he just steps out. Like, <clears throat> well, that didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and Stuart's like, did you just try to leave? And he's like, well, can you blame me? Can you blame me? Your planet is stupid. <laughs> no, I thought that was great. I was like, wow, I'm the same way, Doctor. I, too, would try to leave if I faced any amount of adversity in anything. <laughs> <laughs> so the Autons are, like, homing in on the signals of the meteorites, right? Mm-hmm. And they're able to find the one that uh, Unit was able to find. And they took that one. But they can't find the other one. They just... like they, They're they broadening their signal trying to f- uh, pinpoint exactly where that meteorite is. And it just... It's not coming up whatsoever. Then Sam goes into his shed and opens up the big trunk that he had it in. And all of a sudden the Auton is like, <gasps> It's over there! I'm like, was that... <laughs> Was that old trunk able to block the signal somehow? Because it looked like it was just made of wood. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is like a heavy-duty fucking 
adamantium <laughs> box. Yeah, I thought that too. I was like, man, fucking Bluetooth has more signal than <laughs> this goddamn space meteor. And then like a legitimately like, huh, like this is a startling scene. Uh, Sam's wife comes home. She like comes into the house and hears some ruckus in the kitchen. And she's like, what are you doing in there? And she turns the corner and an auton is just standing in the middle of the kitchen and turns to her. And it's like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> now, to be fair, not saying she deserved it, but I am saying it's her fault. Okay. <laughs> because I'm pretty sure Sam tells her at one point, he's like, hey, I've got something in this trunk in here. Don't go snooping around in it or anything. And then while he's gone, I think he's at the unit camp trying to make, get money for the thing. Yeah. She just starts digging around in the trunk. Yeah, that was it. And then lo and behold, the Auton arrives and kills her. Not saying she should have died. Not saying it was right. I'm just saying, maybe mind your own business, lady. <laughs> She's like, are you hiding those porno mags again? <laughs> Even if I was, I wasn't your fucking businesswoman. <laughs> That's not me saying that. That's pretty much me doing my best Sam impression because he was just like, God damn it, woman. (laughs) (laughs) And also the unit soldiers like fire the autons a couple times. But again, it is made 100% of plastic. uh, So it doesn't really get affected by the gunfire at all. And then um, the auton is ordered to retreat and then it books it out of there. And I'm like, but why though? Why is it retreating? It is immune (laughs) it is immune to gunfire it just has to give it enough time and it will win that fight (laughs) well because because mac if they discover that it's not a person their whole plan will be unraveled maybe probably it seems like it's already too far gone. yeah i was gonna say the plan is like almost done (laughs) so i don't know i mean they wouldn't discover the whole sentient plastic thing if the Autzon, you know, killed them. <laughs> so <laughs> it's also funny. It's like Channing and Hibbert are like watching all of this happen. And like Channing seems to be like giving it instructions to like retreat and stuff, which is really only funny because when the Autzon goes to the unit camp to kill Ransom, it does, it shoots him and then he falls over. <laughs> and then Channing is like, now destroy him completely. <laughs> It's like, okay, I'll use my second gun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, which is, finish him. Now finish him again, for real this time. (laughs) Use use the for realsies dead gun now. (laughs) Like, I get it. Maybe you're trying to conserve on ammo. Maybe it's like a limited resource or whatever. But why don't you just start with that second gun? (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you just start with the delete gun? (laughs) Does it only work on not living things? That seems like a very... Very limited use for that gun. (laughs) But I am done with this episode. Yes, I think I'm also done. All right, episode four. We're booking it through this. We are. Uh, So episode four, Scobie's very sweaty replacement orders Stuart to stand down. The doctor and Liz visit a replica exhibit and note that all the figures are politicians and people in power. No celebrities or artists allowed. They learn the replicas are made from auto plastic and the doctor begins to put the pieces together. After hiding after hours, the doctor's suspicions are confirmed, and the replicas are meant to replace all the major political figures in Britain. He pleads with Hibbert to help them and not to trust Channing, and that the man is controlling his mind. The doctor and Liz return to work on a device to deal with the Autons. 
The next morning, autons wake up all across the country and go on a killing spree. It's really creepy, actually. Unit and the doctor arrive at the factory to stop the autons and their plans. The doctor's device does something to them that... kills them? Turns them off? I don't really know. Once inside, the doctor is faced with Channing, and the man explains that they are the Nestines, a race of aliens that dominate other planets but have no natural bodies of their own. After being nearly killed, the doctor kills the nesting swarm leader and all the other autons at once. Hard cut back to Unit HQ, where the doctor finally kind of explains how his machine works. Now stuck on Earth, he agrees to help Unit with any threats that might come. Look, no one in the show is willing to say it, so I'm going to step up and be the guy who has to tell it like it is and speak the truth. The nesting looks like a big puckering butthole. Yep, it sure does. <laughs> it sure. Brittany walked in while I was watching this, and she was like, "What the fuck is that?" <laughs> and the way it kept like, it just kept undulating. <laughs> yeah, undulating. Yeah, because it kept like squinching in and then expanding out, like <laughs> like it was prepping for something. It was definitely prepping for something because that was that was just a straight up butthole behind glass. <laughs> Which makes the tentacle porn at the end of the episode that much funnier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the doctor's kind of like explaining just like the general idea of the nesting to uh, the brigadier. And um, he doesn't seem to be able to wrap his mind around it like at all. And I'm like, you did fight the great intelligence, though. I feel like you should be able to understand what's going on at least a little bit. It's uh, it's not that different of a concept. Yeah. It's a formless being who controls other beings as its puppets. Like, there. Done. You've fought that before. Now let's fight it again. Yeah, it's, it's Great Intelligence 2.0. Just replace stupid yetis with, like, slightly less stupid, actually terrifying mannequins. This is jumping way far ahead, but I really gotta know that the Doctor has this machine that can kill the Autons, and it is actually not explained how it works, even remotely, until the episode is fucking over. Yeah, doesn't it, like, interrupt the signal? Yeah, something about, like, electromagnetic signals or what? It's a gobbledygook explanation, but they don't even do that until the episode's done. Yeah, it, like, interrupts the signal of the nesting towards the Autons, and then so the Autons, without anything controlling it, are literally just plastic dolls and just f fall. I get how it dis how it can defeat the Autons. What I don't get is how it was able to destroy the weird-ass tentacle monster thing. Yeah, well, the, I, mean, I mean, Liz, like, reconfigures it. She just switches it to, to tentacle mode. Ah, of course! She switched it to tentacle mode as... <laughs> all great sound machines have <laughs> i was confused by it because i i don't remember them really working on building it at all they just kind of arrive at the plastics factory with this machine and scoby is all like you and your friends are under arrest and the doctor's like actually you're dead now it just points his like a little antenna at him and scoby just falls over and he's like well that was easy it is kind of funny because scoby is arresting them and then he's just like Oh, yes, of course. Uh, but before before that, would you be so kind as to speak into this microphone? <laughs> and he just, like, holds it straight up to him and says, tells Liz to flip the switch. Yeah. When they go to the, uh, it's not like a wax museum. It's like a plastic doll museum. It's very strange. I don't know why they have this. There's a whole section I noticed that they walk by that's a whole bunch of U.S. presidents. I was like, is it normal for Britain to have a hall of presidents? 
Because I cannot imagine there is anywhere in the U.S. that just that's just a <laughs> hall of Britain prime ministers. <laughs> it's specifically the Brits whose asses we kicked in the Revolutionary War. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought it was weird because I saw it. I was like, oh my god, please, please get in a sword fight with Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> But that, because like front and center of that U.S. section is JFK, and oh, I don't know, I felt weird about that. I'm not gonna lie, because <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is only this would have only been filmed like five or six years after he was assassinated. Hold on, it's 1963. 1963. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it was 1963 because um, the first episode of Doctor Who got pushed back because of the news broadcasts that were talking about the jfk assassination i remember that now okay yes <laughs> it was seven years seven years like six six and a half years somewhere somewhere on there no i'm australian i don't know it felt weird it felt weird <laughs> dead presidents is one thing but like semi freshly assassinated presidents <laughs> i don't know <laughs> then the nesting sends out its signal to activate the autons um, that are like in a whole bunch of different window shopping kind of places and they all activate and they go out into the streets and they just start firing and um i couldn't decide whether to reference anarchy in the uk or let the bodies hit the floor so i'm just bringing them both to everyone's attention right now (laughs) just both i got big purge vibes from it the autons definitely look like the mask that one guy's wearing in the first one Mm mm-hmm uh, I did not like it. Did not like the sequence at all. I think I, at this point, I didn't realize that like the autons had been rolled out in like a commercial sense. Like, oh my gosh, these are mannequins that are in every department store in the country. It, it kind of makes it feel like it is just controlling the mannequins, and maybe it is. But like that does bring back my question that I brought up earlier in this podcast: Are the autons built with the guns, or is it that, <laughs> or does just all mannequins have those? <laughs> Because this is leaning more and more to my to the latter. <laughs> See, and then it, it's in this moment in this sequence where like the autons are starting to wake up in their little glass displays. Where I was like, "What the fuck, fucking store owner bought that mannequin thinking it was a good idea?" I look at that thing. I was like, "I'm not buying what that fucking this skin monster is wearing." <laughs> <laughs> and then the doctor and Liz go to confront the nesting, and I guess it's a tentacle monster. I guess. I thought it was formless, unless the tentacles are made out of plastic. But like, why? <laughs> Chain says something because like this is like the swarm leader or whatever. Mm-hmm. Chain says that like you know we don't have any like identifiable like distinct bodies of our own, but the swarm leader has been designed to be the perfect thing to survive and take over this planet. Oh, did he say that? Yeah, which I guess is a tentacle monster? I don't know. I, that doesn't seem like the best thing to me. Yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like they could have picked a better form. But it was just, like, really wrapping its way around all of the Doctor. And I was all just like, of it. man, I have definitely seen enough hentai to know where this is going. Boy, Doctor Who invents hentai. <laughs> And I do appreciate that Liz is the one who augments the machine so that it can it can kill the nesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know how she does it, but I do appreciate that she's the one who does it. And then hard cut. So like the thing blows up. Uh, she sees Channing like melted and, and that he's an auton. 
hard cut back to unit HQ where they finally explain the machine. Like the doctor kills like five of these things and then explains how the machine works. Mm-hmm. Does that happen a lot? Is that something I, the show does a lot where I just haven't paid that close of attention and now i'm paying more attention because it's in color maybe that might very well be it um i'm not sure does the doctor usually do things and then explain them or does he explain what he's doing and then does it i think it varies but to be frank like he and liz both were working on that machine he really had no one that he needed to explain it to Mm, good point his companion who is usually the one around who is there specifically to ask dr the question of why or what the fuck she helped built the damn thing so like she knows what it does she doesn't need to explain to her and then at the very end the doctor is just like okay i'll give back the car if i have to but then he's like i would i do really really want a car though can i have a car i would love to go car shopping and i was like That is spoken like someone who's never gone car shopping before. (laughs) He is way too excited about this process. You're so naive. You think this is going to be enjoyable? Car shopping is one of the most, I would argue, the most stressful thing you can do in adult life. I fucking hate car shopping. It's also worth mentioning that the doctor just does not care that he stole the car. He's like, yeah, I want to keep that car. And Stuart is like, no, you you have to give it back. (laughs) But I get to keep the clothes, right? And he's like, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's basically what the Brigadier is from here on out. It's just the doctor's babysitter. <laughs> uh, but yes, but I like this um, morally ambiguous doctor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad you like this doctor. Shall we go into trivia? Yes, trivia me. Uh, so this is the last episode produced by Derek Sherwin. He was only here for a couple of episodes. I was going to say, we just switched producers, didn't we? Yeah, I think he started in Space Pirates, I think, Um, because he was mostly just brought on to just help with the transition going into a whole bunch of new shit that the people... Like, they they were changing studios. They were doing a whole different new filming style. A brand new main actor was coming in. Like, he was basically there to just make sure everything was fine and dandy and settled okay good i'm out bro was here for two episodes yeah so uh in the scene where they go to the the figure museum and they're they like stay there overnight so that they'll be able to investigate more clearly caroline john was actually very creeped out at the figure museum she was not acting a whole lot in that scene because there was a part where she's just like looking around nervously and then the doctor goes Liz, she's like, ah. <laughs> she like does a jump. She's <laughs> <Just> like, what? <laughs> she she was genuinely creeped out at that place. I don't blame her. It was the stuff of nightmares. Uh, this is one of the few times in which uh, John Pertwee's tattoo that he got in the Navy can be seen when he's in the shower. He has like a has like a a snake on his wrist. <laughs> that's awesome, right? <laughs> uh, and that's all I got for trivia. So, final thoughts. I liked it. I think it's my favorite episode of the new Doctor so far. Yeah, you know what? After some debate, I think I think so. I think it's probably my favorite. Although I don't know, I I might have to disagree with you on that. I think it might be my least favorite of the new of the new Doctor. I think it's my favorite and least favorite. <laughs> uh, but no, I thought I thought it was a strong introduction. I thought I think it was overall better paced than a lot of the 
previous episodes, especially mm-hmm. that kind of like latter half of the Trial and Error. Yeah. Is more exciting. I I like Pertwee's interpretation of the Doctor. Good. Um, and it's in color. And it's in color. So instantly better. Yeah, I, I also thought it was a very solid start to the third Doctor. And I also think it's a solid start if anybody wanted to get into Classic Who. I like the idea of Nestine and the Autons and just like playing on everyone's fear of mannequins because everybody's a little bit of fear of mannequin it's that it's that uncanny valley shit Mm -hmm. (laughs) this episode does a good job of showcasing what is basically going to be so the bbc was going through some budget cuts at this at this time so that's one of the main reasons why they have the doctor exiled to earth it's a lot easier for them to shoot on location rather than them building a whole bunch of sets and like having these complicated things so this is kind of more of for the immediate future this is kind of the formula of what the show is going to be like the doctor is the scientific advisor at unit alien threat doctor helps unit take it down dang it right a lot of aliens on earth yeah it's amazing it's amazing (laughs) how often but yeah i i I hope this formula doesn't bother you too much because it is the case for a while well i mean we'll have to see i'm not inherently opposed to the idea i like it better than the back and forth historical the science fiction episodes very true at least in premise the last thing i have to say about this episode is boy howdy it made me realize how fucking teeny tiny british hallways are (laughs) right the (laughs) the hallways are so narrow at the hospital i think that was actually a house i don't think i have ever been so proud to be an american (laughs) we have big hallways and then they go to that cottage in the woods and like it is so scrunched in there (laughs) (laughs) jesus christ british people look like fucking cavemen (laughs) (laughs) well that's it for this episode guys thanks for listening if you want to support the podcast the best thing you can do is give it five stars and tell your friends about it you can find this podcast on apple podcasts spotify google podcasts you know all the major podcast things if you want to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at QuickTripDW. You can also check out Mac's YouTube channel, Mac the Ma, where he does insightful videos about video games. And join us next time on a quick trip through space and time, in which we watch the episode that I remember being my favorite Classic Who episode in Doctor Who and the Silurians. Now we're back to this bullshit. <laughs>